0: Then Jesus went home, and the crowd came together again so that they could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to restrain Jesus, for people were saying, He has gone out of his mind. And the scribes came down from Jerusalem and said, He has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of the demons, he's casting out demons. And he called to them, and he said in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but his end has come. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man. Then indeed, the house can be plundered. Truly, I tell you, people will be forgiven for their sins, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they had told others he has an unclean spirit. But then his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him, and they called for him. A crowd crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brother and your sisters are outside. They're asking for you. And Jesus replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my mother and my brother and my sister. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be found pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with theoretical physics. You likely weren't expecting me to open with that, and I'm no expert, but I do like to challenge myself. And so this past month, largely on vacation, I read a short, complicated book called The Order of Time by Carlo Rovelli. An Italian theoretical physicist, Rovelli takes a close look at how we understand time, and he makes a turn towards understanding what time actually is. Now, I'm not an expert, of course, and I can't fully explain this, but he argues that the way that we understand time as a blurred approximation, the categories we've created are not true. When you look closer all the way down to the smallest quantum level and the detailed intricacies of atoms of matter, you find that the truth about time is more complicated, more diverse, more fluid, and more beautiful than we ever could have possibly imagined. These categories we've created to help ourselves function are not true. And I won't take this too much further because this is a sermon about the gospel of siblinghood, not physics. But I will say that when I put that book down and when I realized what the author was suggesting about the things that I just knew to be true, this is how the past works, this is the present, this is the future, this is how time flows. When I realized that those things that I clung to were not true, I was disoriented I laid in bed late one Sunday night, and I could not find myself in my own thoughts, turning over and over again in a sea of troubled thinking, dislocated from the structures that I had known to be so solid. Now, I'm not one for smooth transitions, and so this will not be one, but in thinking about time to leave the physics behind, this morning I want to remind you that uh, one month for black history is not sufficient in terms of time. I prefer my black history to be working towards full years, and so last February, hopefully, you will recall the picture of Bayard Rustin that was hanging in our new lobby, just outside. Bayard Rustin was a civil rights activist who was hugely influential on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It was Bayard who taught Martin about nonviolence. Up until that point, Dr. King had armed guards to protect him, and rightfully so. Bayard was a pacifist and an organizer. The March on Washington, he organized not with the internet, but with index cards. And Bayard was also openly gay. It was pretty radical for Dr. King to include someone such as Bayard in his closest circle, even as his opponents tried to use Byard's identity to discredit their shared work towards racial justice. One of my favorite Bayard resting quotes is on the front of our bulletin this morning, and it begins like this, We need in every community a group of angelic troublemakers. We need in every community a group of angelic troublemakers. Troublemakers. I myself have been called a troublemaker. First in fifth grade. (laughs) Then in sixth and seventh. Much of high school, all of college, and sometimes still today, I suspect some of you even have been called troublemaker a time or two. We might have been guilty of troublemaking together. But angelic troublemakers, we need those. And when we get to Jesus in our passage in Mark, we find he is already known for being a troublemaker. He first appears with the prophet John the Baptist, he of the locusts and honey. He has been tempted in the wilderness and has already begun preaching across the land to people in need of good news. He has healed a paralyzed person and a leper. He is associating with tax collectors like Levi. And there are whispers already that he counts sinners among his friends. And the Pharisees, we read, have already begun conspiring to kill him for all of it because Jesus is a troublemaker. But he's the kind that we need. In Mark, they accuse him of being mentally ill or possessed. He has challenged people in power And the way of thinking about the world that says certain people are in and certain people are out. It is always they when it comes to Jesus. They don't want Jesus to love as much as he loves. They don't want the sick to be healed, especially not on the Sabbath. And they don't want the sinner to be forgiven. But that's what Jesus does. And they tell him that he is out of his mind. And so as he sits with people in this home, he starts talking in parables with them, as he often does when opposed by those who just don't get it, who don't understand there is more to life than they say. He explains to them that a house divided cannot stand. He tells them all is forgiven, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, that is really hard to forgive. But then he gets to what I like to call the gospel of siblinghood, which is the good news for you and for me. The people accuse Jesus of being out of his mind and his mother and his brother and his sisters. They're trying to protect him. They're worried that he's going to be hurt. They're outside and they want Jesus to come with them and they call for him. But Jesus looks around at the people gathered and asks them a question, an odd question. Who are my mother and brothers? I suspect that everyone in the room looked at him like he had lost his mind. They had all just heard his family calling for him. They all knew where they were. But Jesus answered his own question and said, Here you are. Anyone who does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. In other words, my siblings are not just the people you say my siblings are. My siblings are everyone who does the will of God. But what is the will of God? There are many ideas about this, as you will know. This might not be the whole story, but I think it looks something like this. Love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. Forgive your enemies. Feed the hungry. Bless the poor. Welcome the outsider. Out of these things, the gospel of siblinghood arises, and Jesus tells us through it that this limited black-and-white idea that your siblings are your blood relatives, he upends that idea and says, No, my siblings are you. My siblings are all who do the will of God. So what Jesus does is he opens up the family. He welcomes those who he's been told are not his siblings, Levi, and the leper and the paralyzed man, and the women who were treated poorly, and this strange and rugged group of flawed men who had the audacity to be known as disciples, even the one who would betray him. In Mark and elsewhere, we find that Jesus obliterates false categories to welcome all people to the round table of equality and siblinghood. Still today, as we know, there are those who try to put people in categories and say, no, no, this is how it works. You go here and you go here. You are in and you are out. But Jesus disrupts that and comes to tell us, no, this is how it works. The categories you have created They're just not true. I think today that Jesus might say exactly this about gender identity and sexuality. As much as society has tried to put people into categories, as we have tried to put people into categories and say, you are in and you are out, Jesus disrupts that and says, no, these are my siblings. You say that they are out, but I say they are in. Now, the majority of Americans who identify like I do, white, cisgender, heterosexual males, this idea that gender identity and sexuality far transcend the things we once thought were true, this idea that the categories we've created to keep some in power and some oppressed, that these are demonstrably false, this causes people like me to become disoriented, to feel as if we are losing something and recognizing the full validity of someone else. And we know that when fragile white men like me are afraid and disoriented, we commit acts of violence against those who pursue nothing but the affirmation of their own humanity, physical violence and political violence, even theological violence. But as much as we have tried to put people into categories and say, you are in, you are out, Jesus comes and says, no, these are my siblings. You say that they are out, but I say that they are in. This Pride Month, we celebrate the LGBTQ community here in our own church and in the community outside because the gospel of siblinghood tells us that we are siblings with one another. These are Jesus' brothers and sisters and mother. But what is this movement of the Holy Spirit that gets this odd little passage that's fairly intense in the middle of our reading this morning? The thing that Jesus says, if you're against this, it is really hard to forgive you. I think, and I could be wrong, but I think the movement of the Holy Spirit is that through which Jesus calls us into more wholeness and compassion. Now, most of you may know that I am a pretty boring straight white guy. But I also benefit because of my own identity from all sorts of things that I have neither earned nor do I deserve. People treat me with respect. I get paid more for the same job than someone else. I have access and have had access to better education and resources and all sorts of support and much else. But the movement of the Holy Spirit has brought me understanding. I know that I don't lose anything by loving my lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or queer siblings. When my siblings are each loved and given equal rights and treated as fully human it actually doesn't cost me anything other than my own foolish self-importance. In fact, I become a better person, and I am made more whole because my siblings and I, we are connected. What happens to my siblings matters to me and affects me deeply. The more that they are loved, the more love that we all have to share. An opening to the Holy Spirit's movement in my life Much like my experience with time, I have found that gender identity and sexuality are more diverse, more complicated, more fluid, and more beautiful than anything I might have imagined being born into a society such as this. And Jesus reminds us that a divided house cannot stand. And here in my house, which is your house too, which is God's house here at Highland, there are many rooms with enough for all people. The gospel of siblinghood tells us that when we look around here in worship, when we look around our meetings and our Bible study, around our meals, Jesus tells us these people are your brothers and your sisters and your mothers. They are your siblings. But it would be remiss to think only of LGBTQ identity as the whole story here. There is an intersection where your race, your social class, where you were born, your struggles with addiction or crimes you have committed, and all sorts of other things can be combined and weaponized against you for injustice, to deny you your rights, to deny your personhood. We see this, for example, in the particular plight of trans women of color and the ways that their identity is weaponized against them by so many. But Jesus tells us these are our siblings And only with God at this intersection of injustice may we transform it all into the intersection of justice. Only through Jesus can we who call ourselves Christians take this gospel of siblinghood out into the world and do the right thing. And as Bayard Rustin and Jesus both teach us, this doesn't mean only praying. But praying is important. Carol taught me that. But this... This means actually nonviolent direct action in public. It means advocating for more just policy. It means shaping our own institution here at Highland as if we understand none of us can be whole until we treat our LGBTQ siblings in every square inch of our lives, private and public, as God's beloved. But though we are all called, we are not all called in the same way. Our LGBTQ siblings ought not to be painted with a broad brush as if the community is a monolith of one singular mind. This is not only inaccurate, but intellectually lazy to do. Our LGBTQ siblings and those of us seeking to be better allies, we are called in our own way. Some of us to political activism, some to directly challenge the power structures, often at great personal cost, some to working through relationships and more subtle means over a long period. All of us must let our life speak in our own way. And that diversity is not just okay. That is healthy and it is good. So you might think that I've lost my mind to stand up here with all this privilege, to stand in this pulpit and tell you that I feel called to repentance and to new abundant life with all my siblings. I recognize the problem of my own presence in this pulpit, on this day in particular, and I hope that moving forward, LGBTQ ministers will have this Pride Sunday space reserved, indefinitely. I repent of all the times in my own life when I have hurt or will hurt my LGBTQ siblings because I've been shaped by a society that is heteronormative and harmful. But I'm being saved, day by day. You might say that I've lost my mind to say that I want full justice and full equality, which we have not reached yet for all of the LGBTQ community, even and especially at the expense of my own privilege. But that's okay because I think I have lost my mind in some ways. But also, that's what they said about Jesus when he preached to them the gospel. I myself have heard the call to the gospel of siblinghood, and I'm still listening. It is with joy that I will walk behind and alongside my LGBTQ siblings in the Pride Parade and each day forward in this movement towards justice. And hearing Jesus, and as I have heard, I hope you hear me when I say to each of you, you are my sibling, and I love you. But I am still working on myself and loving more fully. The Friday church folks with whom I was on uh, Friday night, they appreciate the language of progress, not perfection. Some of us might do well to remember that language ourselves. But I hope that as you work on yourself, you will find that the more you are willing to say to those around you without exception, without limit, without condition, you are my sibling, and I love you. When you do that, I hope that you find that you are being made more whole and that God is present with us all there. And I think that is good news indeed. Amen.